0: you please stand so we can do the reading of God's words. Today our selection is Psalm 67. If you're using the Pew Bible, that is on page 481. Or you can also take a look at the words up on the screen. Psalm 67. To the choir master, with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us, say That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth, Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase, God our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is God's word. Thank you.
1: Please keep those Bibles open as we look at this uh, short but powerful psalm uh, together this morning. And let's pray. Lord, as we open your word, our desire is to hear from you. We praise you that you are a God who has made yourself known in your kindness, in your holiness, in your mercy. And so, Lord, would we be a people uh, able to hear, and we need your spirit to do that. And so be with us, give us ears to hear this morning and eyes to see you, give us hearts that are ready to be changed by the truth of your gospel and be glorified as we listen to you in Jesus name. Amen. Well, my first job was uh, cleaning my dad's office. I think I was probably around ten years old or something, and it was originally a team effort me and my older brother, and then eventually my younger sister and uh, after a while, when we kind of knew what we were doing, we would take turns, and uh, I think he paid us $10 each to empty the trash and dust all of the desks and all of the counters and clean the bathrooms and vacuum the carpet, which was not a bad gig for a 10-year-old to get 10 bucks, you know, every couple of weeks. And it didn't take that long to save up a decent amount of money. But then the question came... What will I spend it on? What does a 10-year-old do with $40? I I think that was my first existential crisis in life, um, kind of, because the answer was clearly toys. But which toys do I buy? I mean, it wasn't quite enough for the new G.I. Joe fighter jet, but I could get maybe 10 action figures, uh, or I could save up for this go-kart that I'd seen a little, you know, advertisement for i mean what what do you spend it on what will i do with this money i've been given and we watch our kids go through that same existential crisis every time they get money for a birthday or christmas what am i going to do with all of this there's so many options but what's interesting is that uh, virtually by default all of the options that we tend to consider first are all about us right uh, what we want, what we dream about, what would improve our lives or bring us joy or make us feel complete. And I think most of us can identify with that. If you've ever played the whole, you know, if I were to win the lottery game, uh, what would I spend it on? Most of us, you know, we're going to the car, to the house, to the vacations or, or, or whatever far before we're thinking about anybody other than us. I mean, that's just our the default ...of the human heart in a fallen world. And the reality is that we can have this same impulse... ...toward the good gifts that God gives us. The blessings that we receive from His hand... ...which includes every good thing that we have. Uh, Blessings like life and health... ...and money and possessions and relationship... ...and education and job opportunities... ...or talents or abilities... All that we enjoy in this world that God has made and that God rules, our default is to collect them and spend them on us. But why does God bless his people? Why does he give us good gifts? I mean, obviously, there's a few easy answers. Because he loves us, right? Because he cares for us and for our flourishing, but is there something more? Is there something bigger than our comfort, than our safety, than our success, than realizing our dreams? Something bigger than us on which to spend His blessings? Well, we find the answer to that in our psalm this morning, Psalm 67, as we kind of bring to a close our uh, series in the psalms this summer. And hopefully you already picked up on this as it was read earlier, but Psalm 67 is all about God's blessing. I mean, that word opens the psalm and closes the psalm, verses 1 and 6 uh, through 7. Uh, And and the psalm opens with a, a variation on the priestly blessing from Numbers chapter 6. So back in Numbers, Moses instructed Aaron uh, and his sons, who were the priests of Israel, saying, thus, sh- thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face upon you and give you peace. And so they sh- so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. And so this quintessential blessing of Israel's life and faith, Psalm 67 begins with a prayer that God would bless His people in that way. Uh, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. It begins requesting God's blessing, and then the psalm ends by affirming God's blessing in Israel's life. Verse 6, "...the earth has yielded its increase, God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. God's vision for his people is one of blessing. So, what does that mean? What does it mean that God desires? We pray for it. He, he answers that God's vision for life is one of blessing. Well, in the context of Israel's old covenant, which is uh, in which this psalm was written, That means everything that makes human life under God's rule possible and full. That's what God's blessings are. Everything that makes human life under God's rule possible and full. It's both spiritual and physical. It's rooted in God's vision for creation. So the idea of God blessing us starts in the very first chapter of Scripture. God blessed humanity and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And that blessing or that vision for blessing is detailed in Israel's law, where those blessings are set in the context of a covenant relationship with God. Uh, If you're familiar with that Old Testament story where God rescues his people, Israel, from Egypt, and he makes them his special covenant people. He promises to be their God and they will be his people. And he promises to supply them with every blessing necessary for living faithfully under his rule as his people. Blessings that included land and health and protection and material provision and the posterity of future generations. And most importantly, the blessing of God's very own presence among them. That was the centerpiece. That's what the language of God's face shining upon us means. It's the, the warmth and light of the very presence of God among his people. Relationship, worship, forgiveness, glory. The blessings of the old covenant were both spiritual and physical, but they were also contingent on Israel's faithfulness to that covenant. So for Israel to realize and enjoy those blessings that God promised, they had to remain loyal and not give their worship to any other God. Uh, If they failed, they brought upon themselves God's curse instead of those blessings so that they might wake up, repent, and turn back to him. And so that's The language, the world in which that prayer for blessing is operating in Psalm 67, how does that relate to us today, though? Because there's a few things that are quite different, right? Uh, We who operate under a new covenant in Christ, who read Psalm 67 on this side of the cross. Well, the blessings of God that he promises to his people remain both spiritual and physical. That has not changed. But there are at least two important differences. First, those blessings are secured for us by Christ's obedience and loyalty, not our own. Jesus was faithful where Adam and Abraham and Israel and all of us failed. He's the faithful son. And so we don't receive God's blessing based on our own performance. You know, whether I read read my Bible this morning, is God going to bless me more because I remembered to pray or because I, you know, was kind to my neighbor? We don't receive God's blessing based on our own performance. God doesn't love me more when I sing praise to him or when I obey his word and then love me less if I have a lustful thought or if I say something stupid and mean to somebody. God's love for me is measured by his love for his son, with whom I have been united by faith. And so the blessings that we receive from God are secured by Christ, not by us. By trusting Christ, being united with him in his perfect life, in his substitutionary death, and his powerful resurrection. That's a pretty big difference, right? That, that I have confidence in God's blessing because his son has secured them for me. I mean you think of Galatians 2:20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If we are in Christ, that's our identity. And if we are in Christ, then every blessing of God is already ours forever both the spiritual and the physical everything god envisioned in creation everything he detailed in his law we are fellow heirs of that with christ that's the first difference he secures it for us but second and this is a critical thing to understand as well there's an already and a not yet to enjoying those blessings in christ That is to say that we experience some of those today, both spiritual and physical, but we will not enjoy their fullness until the time when Christ returns and completes God's plan of redemption in restoring all things in a new heavens and a new earth, a new creation in Christ. We, right now, we live in what's often called the meantime. So this this time between the cross and... And the new creation. And so there's an already and a not yet to enjoying the blessings that Christ has secured for us. And so, for example, we enjoy the blessing of having been forgiven by God right now. All our sin has already been dealt with fully through the cross of Christ. We are justified by faith already. But we continue to fight against sin and temptation... In our daily lives. The presence of sin has not yet been completely removed. That comes in the end. So an already and not yet. Or God is present in us already by the Holy Spirit. But we are not yet standing before the throne. In God's unmediated presence. Like we will in the end. Or take physical blessings like provision or health. In the end there will be. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more poverty, no more death, and sometimes God gives us a foretaste of that whenever he supplies our needs, even abundantly, or even by healing our sicknesses or our diseases. And we pray for him to do that, and we praise him when he does, recognizing God enjoys to give good gifts to his children. But that's not always his plan in the meantime. There is a crown coming, but right now, we follow the pattern of the cross. And so, sometimes God takes us through suffering and want and hardship during this meantime. It's often marked by what we call sharing, or what Philippians calls sharing in the sufferings of Christ, both as a means of transformation. So, so... We share in the sufferings of Christ in order that we might grow spiritually and also as a means of witness. We share in the sufferings of Christ to show the world what the love of Jesus looks like, what he was willing to lay down. So when when we think about abundance or when we think about health or healing that we enjoy today, all of it, everything... You know that w- that we have in this world and enjoy all of it 's meant to point us to the future it 's meant to point us to the future it 's like a it 's like a billboard along the roadside with a picture of a big juicy steak on it right it 's meant to whet your appetite and motivate you to keep going because of what lies ahead that 's the design of the good gifts that we enjoy today. We have them already in part, but that points our hearts to the not yet when it's going to be full. And and that's, you know, just as a side note, that's one of the critical mistakes that the so-called prosperity gospel makes, or the health and wealth gospel, where, you know, the belief that because we're children of the king, we should all live like royalty right now. Uh, what it Prosperity gospel rightly recognizes that God promises good things to his children, both spiritually and physically. But it wrongly insists that all of those can be ours right now if you just have enough faith. Uh, it has no theology of suffering, no theology of the cross And if you don't experience all of those blessings right now, your health and your money and so on, well, the fault lies squarely on you. You're just not trusting God enough. You're not obedient enough. There's some sort of hidden sin that you've got to root out and find and expose and so on. It's a really toxic perversion of the gospel. So God's vision for his people is a life of blessing. It's a life of goodness of giving us every good gift that life that, that makes life under his rule possible and full, some of which we enjoy today in part, and all of which will be ours forever in the end. But what do we do with those good gifts? How do we spend whatever blessings God does give us in this meantime? Again, you know, our, our temptation is to take whatever we get and, and spend it on me, like a kid with $10. Uh, to use God's provision for pursuing our dreams or chasing our desires or building our kingdom. But this psalm offers a really powerful corrective to that natural impulse. And so take a look again at the beginning and the end of the psalm. Where we see not not just God's desire to bless us, but the aim of those blessings. Why he does that. Why he gives his children good gifts. Verses 1 and 2 again. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. And then... The last two verses, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. There's something bigger than you and me at work in God's plan of blessing. There's something bigger than our dreams, our desires, our kingdoms. God blesses his people that he might realize his dreams. His desires, His kingdom. He gives us good gifts that His salvation and glory would spread to all nations, that men and women from every people group, every language on earth would know His salvation and worship Him. And we see that again when you look at verses 3 and 5. <clears throat> if you notice kind of how this psalm is arranged. It, it, the just as the beginning and the end parallel each other, when you move in a level, you see another parallel. In fact, a, a verbatim repetition in verses 3 and 5. And it's focused on God's desire that all nations would know and praise him. As we sang earlier, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Not just Israel. All the peoples. And, and that has always... Always been God's plan from the beginning. That's always been the goal of His blessing. And and you see it throughout Scripture. In in Genesis 12, when God is kind of reclaiming the blessing He envisioned in the garden that kind of went south through Adam and Eve uh, and and their rebellion against Him, God's plan continues to go forward and He kind of reclaims that blessing through His promise to Abraham. But notice. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, the scope of Abraham's blessing, who benefits from it? I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, Abraham, and I will make your name great, Abraham, so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Not just Abraham. Abraham all the families of the earth. He blesses Abraham specifically that all nations would be blessed through him. Same is true for Israel. You get to Isaiah 42, where God calls the people of Israel to be his servant. He says, I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. So it's not just about Israel, a light for the nations to open eyes that are blind, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. Israel's job as the special people of God was to live in such a way that God's glory would be displayed, that the nations around them would look and see that and want in on that. I want to worship that God. He's the real thing. That was their job description. But of course, Israel failed to do that. God says later in the same chapter, Who is blind but my servant? or deaf as my messenger whom I send. They they didn't fulfill their job description. The people that were called to open blind eyes ended up being just as blind as everyone else. And so God raises up a new servant whom he speaks of in Isaiah 49. And, and Isaiah 49, this new servant speaks. He says, and now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring jacob back to him and that israel might be gathered to him so this servant who's going to save israel but he also says this it's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of jacob or to bring back the preserved of israel i will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth so when god moves to rescue his people israel that's too small a job for this servant I'm going to make you a light to the nations. I'm going to do through you what they were supposed to do but didn't. I am going to bring my salvation all the way to the ends of the earth. And of course, you keep reading through the Old Testament and you're waiting for this servant, right? And eventually you get to the New Testament and you realize that's what Jesus is all about. He's fulfilling God's desire and plan to bless all nations through his salvation. Jesus is not just the true king of Israel he is the savior of the whole world jesus who as galatian puts it redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us so all of that failure all of the all of the ways that adam and israel and all of us have messed up jesus takes all of that on himself on the cross he takes our punishment he becomes a curse for us so that in christ jesus the blessing of abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's the nations, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus accomplishes God's plan of blessing for all nations. Remember when he gives his great commission to his apostles, he doesn't just send them to Israel, right? He says, go make disciples of all nations, all people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when you get to the end of the story, in the book of Revelation, what do you find? But you find the fulfillment of what God planned in the beginning, having been accomplished through Christ. Revelation 7, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Psalm 67 is fulfilled. That's where the story's going. God's desire is for people from every nation to know His salvation and glory, And he blesses us to that end. That's the aim of his blessing. But why is this his desire? Why is the salvation and the worship of all nations the aim of God's blessings? Can't he just be nice and give us good things? Why does it have to come back to him? Isn't that a bit self-serving on his part to make everything about him? Well, not if there's no greater gift that he can give than himself. If he really loves us and really wants us to be happy, he's going to give us the best thing, and there's nothing better he can give us than himself. And and that's what the center of the psalm emphasizes. It emphasizes the unique worthiness of God. If The structure of the psalm, again, the the parallel, the beginning and the end, and then it moves in, it's been pushing us toward the center verse, verse 4. That's the heart of the psalm. And that's where we see why God is worthy of the worship of all nations. Verse 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon the earth. Now, that might strike us as an odd reason for the nations to praise God. He's a really fair judge. You know, that, that's not where, when you're sharing the gospel with someone, you usually don't lead with that point, right? He's a really fair judge. When you expect, in this kind of psalm, that let the nations be glad and sing for joy because he's a merciful savior or he's a loving father, that's what we expect to hear there. He judges the peoples. He judges you with equity. And he guides the nations. He guides you on earth. But if you stop and think about it, what is one of the most fundamental things that that the nations, that all peoples ultimately long for as they live out their days in a broken world? They long for justice, right, for the world to be made right, to work the way that it ought to, and direction, to know what to do about it, how to live rightly in it. That is one of the most fundamental human longings uh, and has been throughout history because you think justice is what the nations and the peoples of this fallen world are so often deprived of. As one author describes, countries invade other countries and get away with it. The rich use the power of their money to get even richer, while the poor, who can't do anything about it, get even poorer. Innocent people get convicted, guilty people are let off. The bullies, those who can bribe their way out of trouble, get away with wrongdoing. Not always, but often enough for us to notice. People hurt others badly and walk away laughing. Victims don't always get compensated. Sometimes they spend the rest of their lives coping with sorrow, hurt, and bitterness. I mean, that's, that's the human experience, right? And who's going to do something about that? You know, we get our hopes worked up for this political leader or that one thinking you know one of them's going to make all of this right someday, right? And then every single one of us lets us Down. That's the story of the nations. Who will rule with equity? Is there any trustworthy guide? Is there any righteous judge who will rule with both righteousness and compassion, who will decide for victims, who will defend the downtrodden, who will bring lasting peace and make right everything wrong, In this world, is there some sort of judge out there who can set all of this right? And if we find him, do you think we'll praise him? Absolutely, we'll praise him. And that's who God is. That's who this psalm declares him to be, and he's the only one who can do it. The nations are all, you know, a dictator throws over this day. They're all looking for someone to make it right. God's the one who can do it. And that's what he's already accomplished in advance by sending his eternal son, Jesus, to be our great king and savior and judge. And not just to deal with the injustice of this world, but to deal with the greatest injustice, which is our rebellion against heaven. Christ addresses all of it. That's the hope and joy of the cross and the resurrection where God's justice and God's mercy come together to redeem broken sinners, to reconcile us with a holy God, and ultimately to make all things new. The world put to rights. And God wants all of the world to know he's the only one who can do that. He's the only one worthy of our trust and our loyalty. He wants people from every nation to experience the salvation that Christ alone offers. That wholeness, that redemption that he alone can provide. And so, he blesses his people to that end. He blesses us that all might know that he is that God. His presence his provision, his protection, his peace. All of it is a display of his glory to the watching world so that through our worship and our witness, more and more might know his saving power. And so how will we spend our blessing? Whatever it is that we've received from God's hand, What will we do with it as a congregation, as a people individually? The life in your body, the breath in your lungs, the knowledge in your mind, the strength in your hands, the words on your tongue, the love in your heart, the money in your wallet, the relationships in your circle... How are you going to spend the good gifts of God for the sake of his kingdom? That's the question this psalm invites us to ask. And it's a question that each of us have to wrestle with individually and personally. I can't tell you what that means for you. You have to seek God about that. I can tell you a few things it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that the way you spend your blessing has to look exactly like the way someone you think highly of spends theirs. You know, maybe you have a, a mentor, or someone you really look up to, and, well, this is what they do for God. That means if I'm going to be serious, I've got to do the same thing. No, not necessarily. That, that's their investment. What's yours? You need to ask God personally. Nor does it mean that if I, if I really want my life to count for God, I'm going to have to go into full-time ministry. I'm going to have to sell everything or, or, or quit my job or whatever. Because, I mean, I don't want to be on the junior varsity team. I want to be varsity. That is not how it works. That is not how it works. There's no JV or varsity when it comes to following the Lord. Now, obviously, we want to see people... that. We we love sending people to the mission field or, or commissioning them for service. What's your story? What's your contribution? There's no JV varsity. There's a question of how does God want you to spend your blessings? Nor does it mean that if I have less than what others around me have... Like if the good gifts he's given them seem to be a bit more than what he's given me, that I could just sit this one out because they can spare it. You know, We're not called to measure our investment in the kingdom in comparison to others, but based on the value of the king himself. That's how I measure out what I give. How worthy is the Lord? And he's worthy for all of us to play our part, not out of guilt or duty, but out of a humble delight of having been redeemed by Christ and wanting others to get in on that. So what that looks like for you personally is something you have to go before the Lord and ask. No one else can answer that for you. And I encourage you to do that. Set aside time this week. You know, before the kids get up or after they're in bed or go find a quiet corner in a coffee shop or, or a, a, a quiet bench in the park, something, and, and with your Bible open and a pen in your hand, ask God, what does this look like for me? What, is, what are you calling me to do with what you've given me for the sake of your kingdom? Lord, show me how to spend my money. Am I using it all on my needs and wants, or am I investing in your kingdom? Show me how to spend my time. Maybe I I use part of my vacation for a short-term missions trip this year, or maybe maybe I get up early, Lord forbid, one day of the week to to meet with somebody to read the Bible and pray, or maybe instead of watching Netflix each night, we open the Word as a family once a week. Lord, show me how to use my time. Show me how to use my influence? Are there voices out there that no one is listening to that I can help uh, be heard? Are there differences I can make by embodying and announcing the gospel? Show me how to spend my energy, my talents, my dreams, and help me desire what you desire. Help me long for what you long for and then live my life accordingly. Pray to God, ask Him, To help you live your manner, as Paul puts it, uh, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's our prayer. Do that this week and tell someone about it. Tell someone what God is showing you. Because the reality is, we can all make awesome journal entries sometimes. But we need the community of faith to live out our faith your home group a friend anyone drop me an email and say hey here's what god showed me this week i would love to be able to pray for you as you seek to follow him but ask god what does it look like to spend the blessings you've given me for the sake of your name and your glory because the desires of god will be realized one day This prayer in Psalm 67, this vision will become a reality when heaven is filled with the praises of God in every single language on earth. What role will we have played? That's something to dream about. Let's pray. Lord, you are generous. You are gracious. You are majestic and holy. You are merciful and kind. And you have given to each of us of your good pleasure gifts for life. And Lord, I pray that you would show us what to do with them. Lord, help us to Uh, Be passionate about what you are passionate about. Help us to dream the dreams that you have, Lord, for your kingdom and your glory. Help us to operate not out of guilt, not out of duty, but out of delight in the God who is the just judge of all the earth and the merciful Savior who alone can give us life. Lord, help us treasure you above everything else and live like we mean it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.